Hey, how you doing? Welcome. I'm glad you're here. I am Joseph Aiken, one of the pastors here. Happy Mother's Day to all you mothers out there. Real quick shout out to my mom. I love you, mom. I'm glad you're watching. I'm sure she's watching right now. I am grateful because I would not be standing here. I would not be the man that I am today, mom, if it wasn't for you introducing me to Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. So I know that this this platform that I own, the big part of it is because of you. Also, shout out to Sierra, my wife, who is probably wrestling our kids right now to watch Daddy on TV. I love you. You're the best mom ever. So welcome back, everyone. Uh, if you've been with us for a little while, you know that we're in this series entitled What to Do When You Don't Know What to Do. All right. And so if you might come across any questions or something that something pops in your head and you're like, I don't know what's going on. Uh, what does he mean when he said this? Feel free to text this number right here. Text it. It'll be on all the screens that you're, you're watching, and it should be posted somewhere. But when you see them on here, feel free to text it. I want, I want your questions. I'm going to answer them. If I don't know them right off the bat, I'm going to make sure that I look in the good book and, and study it to see how we can answer this and be more effective when doing this. But all right, y'all ready? So these past few weeks, this is the fourth edition to what to do when you don't know what to do. Right. And so the first week we talked about trusting God and then the second week we went into prayer and then the third week, keeping our eyes on God. And now we're about to, to look at how God seeing God bigger than our circumstance, whatever we're going through. Right. And so I need you to do me a favor real quick. What I need you to do is type on whatever device, your computer, whatever you're watching on, whatever platform. I need you to type what was your favorite year in school. So first through 12th grade kindergarten, if you remember pre-K, if that was your favorite year, then go ahead and feel free to write that. But what was your favorite year? Go ahead and type that in. I'm going to look at them after this. I want to know what was your favorite year. For me personally, my favorite year was my eighth grade year. That was like the, the turning point of everything. Y'all, I, I grew four inches. Um, I started wearing contacts. Everything happened that year. But look, this is what happened. It was what prefaced that that made it even better because the summer before my eighth grade year, my glasses broke, y'all. And uh, I'm not sure if you're aware, but in the 90s, I guess the style was where these big old glasses, right? Big old lens glasses. And because my vision is horrible, not only were my glasses big, but they were thick. So I had these big, thick glasses. And yes, I got all the jokes can you see my future and those bottle caps and four, like everything you can think of, the glasses, when it comes to it, that was me. I was the nerd. I was that guy. Yes. And it's okay. I'm fine with it now. I wear my glasses proudly. I'm grateful that they created new technology to where they can shave it down, but uh, to make them not look as thick. But the cool thing about it is, or not so cool, when I broke my glasses, I refused to put tape or anything on my glasses so that I can see. I just walked around not being able to see because I got tired of being talked about. But also what happened that summer right after my glasses broke is I got my first girlfriend, y'all. And, and the, the, the weird thing about it is that I felt like she liked me more without my glasses. And so I was okay with walking around not being able to see, just walking around. Y'all, I wouldn't even know who she was if I saw her from across the room because I couldn't see her. Right? And I was cool. That had become my new normal to not see clearly. I thought that was my clarity right there, not being able to see. I walked around this haze and different things like that all through the summer. My whole summer was like that just because I liked the girl. She was the uh, object of my affection. And because she was the object of my affection, I was okay with not being able to see. 
And I know some of you are laughing at me right now thinking, who in their right mind will walk around not being able to see? And I'm here to tell you, we do that on a daily basis. We're all guilty of walking around in the haze and the blurs of life and trying to find our own way because of the object of our affection. You see, for me at the time, it was physically not being able to see. It's physically not being able to see clear. But for some of us, it's that seeing, that haze that we're walking around, that seeing that we become comfortable in, regardless if it's an addiction, regardless if it's hatred, if it's envy, whatever that thing is, we all have that haze, that thing we're living in that's blurring our footsteps in front of us, that's allowing us or not allowing us to see clearly what God has for us, clearly what, clearly what God is trying to do. All we can focus on is that thing, that circumstance and that situation that's right in front of us. That becomes the object of our affection, regardless of what it is. And so what's, so what's happened here is this. We've allowed ourselves uh, to not see God as being greater than our circumstances because, well, all we see what's in front of us. We see the enemy, y'all. We see the enemy. The enemy becomes so great, so strong, regardless. And I know some of you are saying, well, I don't have any enemies. You don't understand. That thing in front of you that's holding on to you, that's blocking you from allowing you to see what God is doing, that's your enemy. So for some of us, it is a person. For some of us, it is a job. For some of us, it is a relationship. For some of us, it's parenting. For some of us, it's, it's bills piling up. For our enemy is that thing that, that we only see and we're not seeing God. So that, that enemy becomes greater than our circumstances. Another thing that, that, that tends to happen is we also don't see God's provision. When you're so focused on the enemy, you can't, you can't see God providing. You can't see God, what, what God has around you, the covering God has for you. So when you lose a job, your focus is so much on the job that you're missing out that God is trying to do something greater. When your money begins to get funny, you, you, you so focus on the money that you forget about your relationship with God and that God is a provider, that he has provisions, that he has things around you, that he's working, that his providential hand through the midst of all these things, good, bad, and indifferent, he has you covered. And lastly, if you are so focused on the enemy and you're not seeing God's provision, well, of course, you're not going to be able to see God's plan. You won't be able to see that God has something in store for you through the midst of all this. Not in spite of, but through it. He wants to take all those things, mix them up together, and make you who he wants you to be. And so you have to focus on on trying to really see God through this. And so this is where we're going, y'all. What to do when you don't know what to do. And so if you will right now, take a moment moment to stop what you're doing. Close your phones, whatever it is that's distracting you away from the TV or or, or whatnot. Keep your phone on if it's what you're watching on, of course. But I need you to pray. Pray that God open your eyes so that you can see him. I need you to pray that God open your spiritual ears so that you can hear what he's about to speak to us. Father God, thank you. God, we thank you on, on today because you are a great God. You woke us up this morning. You started us on our way. Uh, God, you gave us means. And you're providing. God, we want to see you. We want to see you. So, God, we love you. We thank you. I pray for your people. God, let them hear from you. Just use me as a vessel. All these things we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. And so if you have your Bibles, turn with me to 2 Kings chapter 6. We're going to start at verse 8. 2 Kings chapter 6, starting at verse 8. And it's important for us to understand what's going on. So right now, we're, we're approached with this king. The main character, though, of this is uh, Elisha. 
not to be confused with Elijah, with the uh, uh, J. So Elisha, he was the protege or the, the, the son of faith of Elijah. And so what has happened up until this point, Elijah, with a J, was taken up to heaven by a fiery chariot. You see this in, in chapter two. He was taken up and Elisha asked him before he was taken. He said, I want a double portion of your spirit which wouldn't be wrong for him to ask, of course, because he was his son of faith. And if you are a child, you can ask for your inheritance, which is a double portion. But he asked for a double portion of his spirit. And in doing so, he said, if you see me taking up, taken up by this chariot, then you will get it. And what he did right there in that moment, he knew that he couldn't give him a double portion. Only God could do it. And by, by him seeing means he had the faith to see. And so his eyes were open enough to see this fiery chariot take Elijah up to heaven. And in verse two, in chapter two, verse 11, 12, you see this story taking place and him crying out. I see it. I see it. Meaning he is now his eyes are open and he sees with eyes of faith. He sees through the spiritual eyes of God. And so after that, we see miracles and different things happening. But now we come up to this part. Look at it. Verse eight. Once when the king of Syria was warring against Israel, he took counsel with his servants, saying, as such and such place shall be my camp. But the man of God sent word, word to the king of Israel, beware that you do not pass this place for the Syrians are going down there. So what's happening is this. There's a war going on between Syria and Israel. The king of Syria says this. He says, I need you all to go to this place and attack them right here. And as soon as he says that, God delivers where they're going to be attacked. He tells them, he tells this to Elisha and tells Elisha to tell the king of Israel. And he tells them and they're able to get around the enemy because of this. And so watch what happens. How this, this is just a beautiful story, how it takes place. He says, but it says, and the king of Israel sent to the place about which the man of God told him. Thus, he used to warn him so that he saved himself there more than once or twice. Verse 11. And the mind of the king of Syria was greatly troubled because of this thing. And he called to his servants and said to them, will you not show me who of us is for the king of Israel? Think about this. Your job as king is to to maneuver and strategically place people in specific positions so that you can win a war. And what we see happening right now is that he's troubled because every time he sends his people to fight, the enemy isn't isn't there. He's missing the mark and he's not making it. What we realize is that one time. Ah, it's a it's a fluke. Two times, three times, you know, okay, something's going on. What is happening? So he asked, which one of y'all are a snitch? Who is out here trying to tell what we're doing? Because there's no way they should know what's going on. So that's what happens. And they say, this is what the servants say. And one of the servants said, None, my Lord, O king, but Elisha, the prophet who is in Israel. It's important for you to understand that even the servants knew of Elisha. They knew his name. They knew he was the one speaking. But I find it kind of funny is that the whole time that the king is setting up and trying to move people to certain places, that they, al- they already knew why his plans were being thwarted. Some of us are surrounding, around, surrounding ourselves around people who are looking at us fail and they're okay with it. And we have to stop doing that. We have to stop hanging around and allowing people to speak into our lives that don't have our best interests in mind. And so verse 13, and he said, go and see where he is that I may send and seize him. It was told to him, behold, he is in Dothan. Verse 14, so he sent their horses and chariots and a great army, and they came by night and surrounded 
the city. Y'all, the king, uh, the king was so focused on the wrong thing that the only thing he could see was the object of his failure. The only thing the king could see was the object of his failure. What does this mean? You, you, there's a, uh, this sports movie. Uh, I, I can't think of it. But So in this sports movie, at the beginning of the movie, the, the underdog team goes against the, 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 the reigning champions, and the reigning champions literally demolish them. If you, think of, if you can think of what this movie is, just go ahead and put it in the uh, chat for me. But there, he's trying to think of it. Uh, and I'm trying to think of it. But and then what happened later on along the, the journey through the season, they become they find themselves and they say, you know, we're a good team together. We're operating out of everyone's strength and they start winning every game, every game. And eventually they make it to the champions, the championship game. And not only are they in a championship game, they're also playing the same team that beat them in the beginning. Right. And these te- two teams are going at each other and come halfway through the game. The, the, the underdogs are losing so bad that it doesn't look like they're going to recover. They walk into the locker room, throwing their, their, their gear everywhere, and I don't know if it was the player or the coach comes into the room, into the locker room, and gives this motivational, oh, let's handle this, let's do this. He gives this, this awesome speech. And then they come out of the locker room, and then all of a sudden, they start winning. They start coming back, and eventually they win the championship. Did anybody figure that movie out? Did you write it in there? No. Why? Because that's every sports movie that you've watched. Right. Every sports movie, you see the same play over and over and over and you know what's going to happen. The underdogs, they're going to they're not going to be good in the beginning. Then in the end, they're going to end up beating them. That's what happens. And and what this is what I see here. This king, his first failed attempt, he thought it was a flute. Second, third, like he was losing so much. He was missing them so much that. But he's yet and still he kept going to him. He stepped. He kept fighting, trying to get it. And so in his mind. He said, well, if I can't find them, even though he heard that it was God thwarting his plan, he said, well, let me go find the man of God that's actually doing it as if that will be successful. But let's see what happens. Look at verse, verse 6 or verse 15. I'm sorry. When the servant of the man of God rose early in the morning and went out, behold, an army with horses and chariots was all around the city. What would you do? If you woke up, brushed your teeth, washed your face and did all those things. And then you eventually uh, went to open a window and you saw that your house was surrounded around with people with guns and they're ready to kick in your door. They're coming for you. What would be your first response? Last week, Chris talked to us about how when we're, we're put in these uh, tough situations, what can happen is we either fight And I don't know about you, but if I'm surrounded around a lot of people that are about to come in, fighting may seem a little hard. Sometimes we flight or we run. I'm surrounded. So if I run, they catch me or we freeze. We just get stuck. And that's what kind of could happen. You see the servant. And what is the first thing that he did? The first thing that he did, he said. He said this. And the servant said, alas, my master, what shall we do? You have to make sure you're running to the right source. Some of us are surrounded by the enemy and we want to fight our way out. We want to push, we want to pull, or some of us run. And what you're supposed to do is go to the master. When you're scared, go to the master. When you're hurting, go to the master. When you're upset, go to the master. When you lose, go to the master. When you win, go to the master. In every scenario in your life, in every situation, in every circumstance, go to the master. When we allow ourselves uh, to handle it on our own, what we're saying is that, God, you're not enough but I got this. 
God, you're not enough, but I can handle this. God, I can do this on my own. You just sit in the passenger seat and let me handle this, God. That's what we're saying. So what do we see here? We see that the the servant could only see the object of his fear. He was so focused, so focused on the problem in front of him that he was scared uh, and he had to run. Where did he run was a good source, but he was still scared. Some of us are so focused on that thing that is in front of us that we forget that God is bigger than that thing. We're so focused on so focused on what is exactly in front of us that. And you, so real quick, uh, I want to give a shout out to our, our tech team who every week they come out and they get the music stuff and the sound right. And so we have three people back there. And as you can see, there's two cameras here, right? And so right now I'm looking at this camera. Then I come here and I look at this camera. And if Herbert is doing his job up there, he is focused on me right now. Right? And, and he's laughing back there. But then when I switch back here, Herbert is on his job. He's paying attention. If I look at this camera here and, and he doesn't move with me, that tells me that he's not focused on what's going on. See, what can happen is oftentimes we find ourselves, we're wondering why the things that we're going through, we're not handling our business right, or, or we seem like we continually fail over and over and over again. It's because we're not following what God is wanting us to do. And so every time I switch cameras, if it doesn't switch on me, that means he's not following me. See, God has called us to stay focused on him and be able to maneuver when and where he's called us to maneuver. And as soon as we, he moves, we move with him. We go with him. I know this is probably a lot on your eyes, so I'm going to stop moving back and forth. But look, this is what God wants you to understand, is that God is doing some things in your life. And that, yes, there will be times in your life where you'll be surrounded by the enemy. Yes, there'll be times in your life when you will seem overwhelmed by the circumstances that are in front of you. And he wants you to understand that you can't focus just on that. How do I know? This is what he does. Look at verse 16. He says this, do not be afraid. So Elisha's first response is, trust God. Don't fear. Why? For those who are with us are more. Wait, those who are with us are more than those who are with them. That sounds. Hold on. I'm the servant and I come to my master. I say, hey, dude, we surrounded by all these people. I know I've seen you do some miracles and things. Uh, how are you going to get us out of this? What should we do? What should we do? And he tells me, ah, oh, don't be afraid. Those that are with us, those on our team is more than with them. The first thing I do, this is me personally, and maybe it's just me because maybe you already are super holy and you're good. The first thing I do is I say, where? Where they at? Because I don't see nobody but me and you, and I don't think we can handle this. And see, his eyes hadn't been open. But I love what, what Elisha does. He says he prayed. So trusted God and he prayed and he said this, oh, Lord, please open his eyes that he may see. So the Lord opened the eyes of the young man and he saw and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around. Y'all, this is important because remember in chapter two, what happened when when Elisha's eyes were opened up? What did he see? He saw the horses and chariots of fire, which means since then, he's been seeing in the spiritual realm. He's been seeing with eyes of faith. He had the faith already. And so when they came and surrounded him because of his position and vantage point and where he was standing and his relationship and proximity to God, because everything God was telling him to do, he was doing it. And every time he moved, God, he was able to follow God because God had called him to do something. So he saw this army that was surrounding him. And the first thing he thought is, oh, that's all you got? Those are your chariots? That's your army? 
And the, the servant's response was, what should we do? But he hadn't seen the provisions and the providing. Too often we focus on the problem that is in front of us and we miss the covering of God. We miss the covering of God because not only was the mountains full, Elisha was covered. You're covered. The situation you're in, you're covered. The providing, you're covered. God is right there. He's always been there and he'll always be there. Look, verse, verse 18 and when the Syrians came down against him, Elisha prayed to the Lord and said, please strike this, this people with blindness. So he struck them with blindness in accordance with the prayer of Elisha. Y'all, it's, it's important for us to understand that God's provision, what God has for us, we have to use it according to God's will. Because, again, if I see that I'm surrounded by a group of people that want to kill me, but I know that God has me covered, I'm like, God, go ahead and handle them right quick. And what God says is that I don't, my agenda is not your agenda. My agenda isn't designed to meet your agenda in the middle. There's only one agenda, and that's God's agenda. There's only one agenda is that what he wants to do. And so in the natural world where we say, oh, well, finish him, kill him off, handle this real quick. God is saying, no, 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 that's not how I'm going to do it. I'm going to strike him with blindness because I want them to see too. So here we go. Verse 19. And Elisha said to them, this is not the way. And this is not the city. Follow me. So you have this blind army. A great army. This wasn't just one or two people. This is a lot of chariots and everything. They've been blinded. Physically, they've been able to see their whole lives. And now they're in a place where they can no longer see. And they have to follow some, the man of God because they witness. So, so they're put in this vulnerable, this vulnerable state. And so they follow him. I will bring you to the man whom you seek. And he led them to Samaria. So for over, this is 12 miles between here. And so you have to think, these guys, they're blind. And so just walking 12 miles is going to take me at least three hours. I'm blind now, so it's probably going to take me a little bit longer. And so more than three hours, these guys have been walking blindly, contemplating and thinking about, wow, what just happened? Following a man of God. When you're in a position, God, God has called you to, to do two things because you saw with the servant, he was blind. God opened his eyes, he lifted the veil so that he can see in the spiritual. But also, when, when you've been blinded, you're put in this situation to where you say, do I want to leave myself? Or do, want, do I want to allow God to lead me? Verse 20. As soon as they entered Samaria, Elisha said, O Lord, open the eyes of these men that they may see. So the Lord opened their eyes and they saw and behold, they were in the midst of Samaria. They were in the midst of Samaria. So God opened their eyes. And where they were, were in the middle of, of their enemy's camp. They was in the city of where they was, where the, their enemy was. Some of us, God brings us to what seems like hard places. You, you can say the, 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 the new normal of what we're living through now can be seen as a hard place. But we had hard places before this. We had struggles before this. And we feel like, God, why did you bring me here? What are you doing? And again, what happens is we, we start operating like the king of Syria, where we want to do it on our own and try to fix, fix it on our own and get in it on our own and get in this cycle of doing it on our own. And God says, no, 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 no. I'm bringing you here for a reason, but you got to see. You got to see. You got to trust me. You got to focus on me. Stop seeing the problem, the placement that you're at, bigger than who I am, who God is. What God, that's what he's telling us. So what does the king of Israel do? Like a little kid. Look at verse 21. This is what he says. As soon as the king of Israel saw this, saw them, he said to Elisha, my father, shall I strike them down? 
Shall I strike them down? He was so excited. He asked somebody, can I kill him? Can I kill him? Can I kill him? What do you want me to do? The king was blind. The king of Israel could only see the object of his feud. On this Mother's Day, I know there are some of us who have uh, relationships that have been broken. For some of us, it's relationships with our mothers. We, we, we're not even calling them uh, today because, well, we, our relationship has been broken and, and stunted and, and it's been messed up. You're fueled by this feud. That is the object of your obsession. And I know you're thinking, well, she wronged me. They tried to kill the king and his people. They tried to kill Elisha. And he said, nah, I want something more than that. If, you're, if the object of your obsession is anything else other than God, you're going in the wrong direction. You're fighting a, a, a battle that's already been lost. And here this king is, that's all he saw. He said, oh, I can kill them, not understanding that God wants more. God sees a bigger picture. Look, this is what he says. He answered, shall you not strike down? Uh, he answered, you shall not strike them down. Would you strike down those whom you have taken captive with your sword and with your bow? Look what he tells them to do. Set bread and water before them that they may eat and drink and go to their master. So what you're telling me, God, is that right in front of my enemies, you want me to not kill them. You want me to feed them? I don't know. And I know for some of you, you're perplexed and you're stuck and you're thinking about that like, nah, that's not going to ride with me. That's not going to fly. I can't sit down with somebody I don't like, someone that has hurt me so much. And God says, why not? He says, I sit down with you every day. He said, why not? He said, I'm trying to do some things because the king couldn't see past this fight right here. He's trying to win. And, and Elisha is trying to get him to understand you can win this whole war. You can finish this war right now. By just breaking bread. Why? Because when you broke bread with your enemy, you're making a covenant. And this time they broke bread. They was making a covenant to say we're going to end this war. When we ate together, when we feasted together, that means we'll no longer fight. That means we'll no longer fight. And so verse 23, he prepared for them a great feast. And when they had eaten and drunk, he sent them away and they went to their master. And the Syrians did not come again on raids into the land of Israel. If the king would have operated out of his own strength, out of his own will, out of his own purpose, uh, out of his own desires, what would he have done? He would have killed them and the war would have continually gone on. Gone on. You're so, so fixated on fighting the battles and God saying, I'm trying to finish this whole thing. I'm trying to tear down walls. Now, I'm not just trying to uh, pull out bricks. I want more for your life than you want for yourself. So my question for you this morning this afternoon, this evening, whenever, this night, this day, my question for you is this. What do you see? Is the object of your affection something that's hindering you from seeing God? Are you stuck in this cycle, this, this cycle that keeps you down, that causes you to fail, to focus on your failure so much, to focus on your fears so much, your frustrations that... Are you focused on the feud, the problems that you have? Are you able to see God? <laughs> Elisha saw this army surrounding him, and he thought to himself, their guns are bigger, my God is greater. Their guns are big, but my God is greater. They, they got a lot of firepower, but I serve a God above all of that. And the thing about it is he didn't, it wasn't his agenda. Elisha never once tried to push his own agenda. It was all about God. 
How did he get to that place? Because his faith was in a switch that he turned off and on. From the time that you see, if you walk through Elisha's life and his story, from the time that he started the ministry, you see him constantly saying, God, this is yours. God, I'm not chasing the money. God, I'm chasing you. God, I'm not trusting in, in what man can do for me. I'm trusting in you. And so for those of you who may be struggling in life right now and you're wondering, God, I don't know what's going on. You're struggling in life right now and you're, you're tired and you're tired of fighting. You're tired of feeling like it's always hard for you. You're tired of feeling like, God, I know you can do more in my life, but why aren't you doing more? You're surrounded by this circumstance that has overwhelmed you. And all you see is the circumstance. You stop seeing God. God says, I want you to see me. He said, I want you to see me to be that I'm greater than your problem, that I'm greater than the situation, that I'm greater than the the job. I'm greater than all of that. I have more for you. I want more for you, but you have to see me. God said, I can't even take you to the spiritual because all you see is this flesh. All you see is what's in this world. He said the battles you fight, the spiritual battles that you're fighting, you can't even get to fighting those because you're so stuck in this world and what's happening right now. God says, I want more for you. He says, will you see me above the failure? Will you trust me when you're surrounded by the enemy? Will you allow me to take control and handle this situation? Stop doing it on your own. Stop trying to control this on your own. He said, I want to take you. I want to fuel your purpose. I want to fuel your desire because it li- when it lines up with me and my agenda, that this is what God tells me. When it lines up with his agenda, then you're going in the right direction. So what? ask yourself, what do you see? Will you pray with me? God, we love you. God, we thank you. God, you are the great I am. You are the healer, the provider. You're exactly what I need right now. God, I see you. Yes, there's problems in front of me, God, but I see you. Yes, it's hard right now, God, but I see you. I trust you. God, I don't know what's coming next, but I trust your plan. I trust your provision. I trust you'll provide. God, I trust you right now. God, so we love you. God, we thank you. And God, we will trust you. God, we will uh, allow you to open up our eyes to see what you're doing in this spiritual world for us, God, that, that you have us covered. God, all these things we ask, God, we, we thank you, we, we praise you, we worship you. In Jesus' most mighty name we pray, amen. Would you all join us, please, for a time of prayer and confession?